Well, today is week five in our uh, series of messages on um, confidence, finding confidence in uncertain times. And I originally had sketched out um, six sermons to preach on this, on this series, and I thought that that was what God was leading me to. And then uh, I think I shared with you that uh, um, at one time, if I had been forced to tell you what my favorite book in the New Testament was, or maybe in the Bible, it would be Philippians because of Paul's relationship with the people. But then the more that I studied First and Second Thessalonians, I thought, this is a great relationship there as well with some wonderful things about this church and what Paul was so pleased with them. And so as I wrestled with this, I, I just kept being drawn back to, to Thessalonians. And, and it was like God was saying to me, there's another sermon in here that I want you to preach. And so I asked, well, what would it be? And so he directed me to some scripture. And in, confident time, in uncertain times, one of the things I think that gives us confidence is the fact that we can be encouraged. And that's what, that's what God led me to for the scripture for today is for us to consider being encouraged and then being encouragers once we are encouraged. Because I think that's what we should be about as the body of Christ. And I would also imagine that there's not a one of us in here today who hasn't needed some encouragement uh, in some way in life. No matter whether it's a struggle in your spiritual walk or whether it's a struggle with some other kind of issue you're dealing with personally in your life. But today we're going to focus about encouragement. And in uncertain times we need to find encouragement. Now suppose somebody seated around you, somebody on the road with you, or going out to you, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I really, I really need some words of encouragement. Could you encourage me? You know, would you be able to say something or pray something uh, that would maybe give them some encouragement? Or do you think that's your responsibility at all? Is that what we're supposed to be about? As believers in Christ and in the church, the body of Christ, should we be encouragers, helping people in times of needing encouragement in uncertain times? Well, we've uh, listened before to our um, shallow Christian with some deep thoughts or, one, or weird thoughts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, listen to what he thinks about encouragement in the life of the church. We all have times when we feel a little down and could use a helpful nudge in the right direction. Encouragement is easy to give to others, and it can provide them with the emotional pick-me-up that they need. Unfortunately, Encouragement is a sin. You see, God doesn't want us to encourage people because they might get encouraged to do the wrong thing and then we would be leading them to sin. We should let people that need encouragement know that it's their fault they haven't yet succeeded and instead of looking for encouragement, they should be looking for a way to not be such losers. There is no story in the Bible where Jesus is having trouble with something and he waits for the disciples to boost his ego before he can proceed. He just did what was needed. And he did it without an inspirational quote calendar, a hang-in-there poster, or a coffee mug with an uplifting phrase on it. The only thing we should encourage others to do is to stop being babies. <laughs> These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. All right, and they also give a disclaimer all the time to this guy. You know that's in jest, and that is wrong. Encouraging others is not a sin. Sometimes it looks like maybe some people feel that way because... You just don't know what to say or do to give encouragement. And we're living in times today, I think, that, that really call for that sense of encouragement. Because we live with so many negative attitudes and there's so many uh, negative emotions that are expressed. I mean, there are times I just simply need encouragement. And I know that maybe, uh, you know, hopefully, you experience those same times as well. 
but the reality is, is that sometimes we struggle in being encouraged. We can be all about being encouraged, but when it comes time for us to encourage others, I think maybe we struggle a little bit with that. But I think we need to remember that what oxygen is to the body, encouragement is to the soul. And that's something that we ought to be able to do freely and lovingly as the body of Christ. A um, couple of quotes from some people who knew about being encouragers. One from William Arthur Ward who wrote these words. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. How many of you are familiar with uh, Mary Kay the Pink Cadillac? Mary Kay Cosmetics, okay? She wasn't just in the cosmetic business, she was in the people business. And this is a part of what her training was that she would tell everybody. She said, pretend that every single person you meet has a sign around his or her neck that says, make me feel important. And she goes on to say, then not only will you succeed in sales, but you will succeed in life. See, I think there's just something that we, that we normally gravitate towards people who can encourage us? I do. I mean, that, that's something I think that's very important. Uh, negative, critical people always bring me down. But people who are encouragers always lift me up. I tell you, I keep an encouragement file that keeps expanding in my desk. When you send me a nice note or a card or some of the children's classes come by with something, I always keep it on my desk and look at it for a while and read it and reread it, and then I put it in my encouragement file. And sometimes when I feel encouragement, I can pull that out and read them, and I feel encouraged. So, yes, we need encouragement. And also at the same time, we need to be encouraged. So as we look at this message today, and that means that we'll expand the sermon series two more weeks and go seven instead of six, that this this message today is going to have to touch on several areas in our our spiritual life, Uh, like our attitude towards evil, uh, your attitude about trials in life that come your way, your attitude about your life in the church and in Christ, your prayer life, and your attitude about the church and kingdom growth. So I want to say to you today, if you want to have an impact on this culture, and as a believer in Christ, you should. If you want to be significant in someone's life, and you should. And if you want to be remembered and appreciated and missed when you're gone, then you need to be an encourager. Be positive in people's lives. Now, all of those things are woven into this portion of this letter of 1 Thessalonians that Paul wrote. You know, I reminded you earlier that this was a church that Paul established on on one of his missionary journeys. He preached the gospel to them. They came out of idol worship, and they gladly accepted Christ. And then not only that, but he heard reports from them that, that their faith just rang out from them. And they were example to all the other churches. And I just love that aspect about that. But Paul was also now distant from them, separated from them. And he was concerned about them. He had a deep love for them. But he was concerned about them in their faith. And maybe that the trials that they were going through uh, might discourage them to the point that they might want to give up. Now, before we look at 1 Thessalonians 3, at at that section of Scripture, I want us to set the stage by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 17. Because this is where Paul, I think, shows us his great concern uh, for the Thessalonians as he wanted to go to them to encourage them. But notice what happens. He says, 
But brothers, when we were torn away from you, that's how he describes that, being forced out. He was torn away from them uh, for a short time in person, not in thought. Now let's know that he wasn't there bodily, but he was still thinking them. He said, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now we hear these words of Paul. We see that Paul has has that deep concern for these Thessalonian believers. You know, he felt like he was torn apart from them. He was concerned about them. And they were his glory. They were going to be his joy that he was going to present to Christ when he returned. And so he was concerned about them and the need to encourage them. And also notice what happens in here. He said when he wanted to come see them that he was hindered. Satan hindered him. Satan stopped him. And and we need to take notice of that as well too. Because I think we need to understand that that yes, there is this demonic force and this source of evil that's alive in our culture today uh, and around the world, and that is Satan. And that Satan does have some power. We're going to talk about what kind of power he has. And we're vividly aware of how this evil has spread through our culture. We're aware of church shootings, uh, shootings in the mall, uh, school shootings, and then other places where disgruntled employees go in and open fire on people who either terminated them or didn't treat them friendly or whatever. And some people wonder, why is there so much evil in the world? And that's because there is a living demonic force known as Satan. And Satan is real. Jesus recognized him as that. And he gave us some of the descriptions of what Satan is and what he does. Jesus called him the father of lies. Because Satan chiefly works to deceive us, to dis- discourage us, and ultimately to destroy us. And in that process, part of what he does is that he kills, he destroys, he tempts, he accuses, he shames, he confuses, he discourages. And his name is Satan, which literally means adversary or an enemy. Satan is real. Don't discount that. Satan is real. And if you aren't a believer today sitting here under what I'm saying today, through the anointed word of God, if you are not a believer yet, don't be surprised if there are all kinds of strange thoughts that will distract you that are running through your mind. And the reason for that is that Satan does not want you to hear clearly the gospel message and for you to respond to that. You know, in other places in the scripture, the Bible says that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever so they cannot see. And that's talking about spiritual eyes. He'll also mess with your mind. He doesn't want you to come to know Christ. He wants to deceive you about the Word. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to spend eternity in hell with Him. But then when you do become a Christian, and those of us who are believers can confess to this as well, He still doesn't stop bothering with us, does He? And what He wants to do then is, is He wants to stop us, just like He stopped Paul. He wants to stop us from reading our Bible. He wants to stop you from praying. He wants to stop you from attending worship. And for some people, that doesn't take a whole lot, does it? He wants to stop you from giving to God. That doesn't take much at all. For some people, does it? He wants to stop you from serving God. He wants to stop you from growing in your faith. You get the message? You get the picture of there, Satan? There is nothing wholesome, nothing good about Satan. There's one lady known in her church for always having a good word to say about somebody, and the pastor asked her about the devil and wondering what she would say. 
And she says, well, he's certainly always on the job. And he is. And we have to watch out for that. And Paul says here that this is Satan's work that hindered him and stopped him from going and seeing his beloved friends whom he wanted to go see and encourage. So let's look then at what happens as we look at the text for today in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 13. I think Paul writes some, some very moving words for us to understand. Paul says, so when we could stand it no longer, are you beginning to sense how much Paul really loved these people and how much he wanted to be there with them and encourage them? We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, that's Satan, might have tempted you and our efforts might have become useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. They encouraged Paul and they weren't even aware of it. That, you know, they were encouraging him because of their faith. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now I hope you see the connection there that, that Paul was concerned about these believers and he wanted to encourage them. And at the same time when he got the report from them, though he couldn't come personally, that they were standing firm in their faith and they were growing in their faith and the gospel was ringing out from them, they encouraged him. And so what I hope in this message to do today is to challenge us to be encouragers and to be encouraged as we hear these words as to how that encouragement can work through our life as we get some things clarified about some of the things that really are trials and disappointments in life that are attributed to Satan. So I think there are three important things for us to know today. First of all, we need to realize that when Satan hinders you with trials... And Paul talked about the fact that they were going through trials and persecution as well as he was. When Satan hinders you with trials, realize that God permits them. You might find that strange, but that's what the Scriptures teach us. If God is sovereign, then everything that comes into our life has to pass through him. And he either plans it or he permits it. He talked to them about the fact that they were going through unsettled trials and being persecuted. And it's in that kind of setting and a time of trial that you might be going through. You have a wonderful opportunity 
to encourage people as you go through that trial than you could on any thousand other ordinary days when nothing wrong was going on in your life. And you see, it was through times of trial and persecution uh, that these Thessalonians kept the faith and that encouraged Paul. So what happens when trials come into our life? They'll come in a variety of forms, all kinds of difficulties and trials. What are some ways you can respond? You can respond irrationally. You can exaggerate the difficulty. Uh, You can hurt so bad that you just quit. See, now think about some, when you hurt so bad that you just quit, I think about about Elijah. You know, he had that great conquest uh, and and defeated the the pagan uh, gods. And then he ran and fled for his life and hid in a cave as a result of that. And he said, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. I'm the only one left. And God finally spoke to him in that still voice. And he said, come on, get up, Elijah, and let's go. There's still work to do. There's 7,000 other priests who did not yield to this fear. And then we talk about exaggerating the difficulty or responding with irrational actions. I think about this Boy Scout uh, troop that I read about. That they'd been, they were a city troop from one of the big cities up north. And they came down south. And they were somewhere down south, South Carolina, Georgia, or somewhere. And they might have been in Okefenokee Swamp. I've been camping down in there when I was in Scouts as well. Kind of an eerie place to be. There's a lot of mosquitoes in there. I mean, some of them are huge. You can say, well, they're the size of a quarter. Well, these, these Boy Scouts weren't used to that. And they were just getting eaten alive by the mosquitoes. And one little boy finally poked his head out the tent and looked around, and what he saw was a group of fireflies, lightning bugs, you know, you can see them at night. And he yelled out to the boy, said, we might as well run for the hills. said, they're coming after us with flashlights. <laughs> and then there's one other reaction that's negative about trials in life, and that is you can respond resentfully. You know, you can just resent God for what you're going through. You remember Job and what he's going through, what he went through? And what did his beloved, supporting, encouraging wife say to him? Huh? Curse God and die. That's what she said to him. What kind of support is that? What kind of encouragement was that? None at all. I think all of us have had times in our life when we've gone through times of opposition and hindrance. And that's satanic action. That's work in our life. See, Satan and his demons will be at work all the time. But they are limited by what they can do because of the authority of God. This is something that you need to understand. Satan does not have unlimited power. He's a fallen angel. He is not omnipotent. Only God is all-powerful. He has unlimited power. Satan does not. But God will allow Satan at times to tempt us so he will challenge our faith so that our faith will grow and mature and build character. Go back to the book of Job. You know, God's there looking over Job and Satan comes and says, you consider, you know, God says, consider my servant Job. And Satan said, well, the only reason he's faithful to you is because you've blessed him. Look at everything he has. Take away what he's got and then see what happens. He'll curse you. And God said, okay, I'll let you do that, but you can't touch him physically. You know, then they come back later, and, and Satan then says, I've got to touch him physically because he's still remaining true, right? And so God let him touch him physically at that time, and Job went through all the physical stuff. You see, God had to allow Satan to be able to get to Job. But in the midst of all that, even while Job's wife said, curse God and die, Job did not become resentful. 
He remained faithful to the very end. He asked the questions that you and I would ask. And it's so wonderful at the end of the book of Job, when God finally got tired of hearing from Job and his three friends that God spoke. He said, hey, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes on with some other probing questions. And at the end, Job says, now my eyes see God. I'd heard about him, but now my eyes see God. See, Job went through that time of trial and testing, and what did he end up saying? Now my eyes see God. He said, my faith has been enriched. And, and the trials that God brings into our life are not meant to destroy us. They're meant to make us stronger. I remember reading an article um, in a magazine, a men's magazine called Men of Integrity by a guy by the name of Gary Richmond who wrote about observing uh, the birth of a giraffe. Uh, and, and it was in, in a zoo and he was standing next to the zookeeper. And, and I learned something in this that, that he learned that day. And that is that when the mama giraffe was ready to give birth to the little one, she didn't lie down. And so this guy says, Gary Richmond says, is somebody going to be on there to catch him? He said, no. Now you go out there, that, that, that mama's giraffe can kick your head off with one quick move. And so that poor baby giraffe enters into the world by dropping about 10 feet from his mama and that's on the ground. And then the mother gets involved in the child's life. And you know what she does next? She takes her hind leg and she kicks the poor thing. And he goes rolling head over heels. And he's kind of lying there kind of figuring out what kind of world is this I've entered. And you know what the mama giraffe does then? She kicks him again. And and a guy here says to the zookeeper, what is she doing? And he said, she's trying to teach him how to get up and to do it quickly and to remember how he got up. He said, why? He said, because oftentimes survival out in the wild depends upon being able to get up fast and outrun those that would make prey of that little giraffe. I see what looks to us like torture. Something the unkind mama giraffe would do is intend for the well-being of that baby giraffe. See, it's easy to have that kind of attitude of resentment about our trials in life. But listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you were suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So when we talk about being encouraged and being an encourager, then be encouraged because God permits trials into our life to build, shape, and mold our character. Now, here's the second thing to remember. And that is that when Satan attacks you, remember that he can discourage you, but he cannot destroy you. When Satan attacks, he can discourage you, but he cannot destroy you. He cannot destroy you, cannot defeat you. See, Paul talks about how Satan stopped him. and He was disappointed and discouraged, but he wasn't defeated, was he? Again, let me remind you, Satan is not all-powerful, but he is strong. He is not all-knowing, but he's cunning and clever. He's not all-present, but he has an organized, demonized, mobilized army assisting him. And they have the authority that Satan has. And so sometimes there comes that discouragement into our life from Satan. Other times, he uses the tool of fear. Some of us live in fear of, of Satan and what he might be and do. You know, First uh, Peter 5 says that 
Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, what does it mean like Satan is like a lion? It means that he's always around looking for somebody to destroy. And I've read that in, in the jungle that oftentimes the lion, which is the king of the jungle, right, will just give out some of these tremendously powerful roars of the lion as only he can give. And some of the animals are so afraid they're literally petrified and frozen right where they stand and they become easy prey for the, for the lion. Sometimes we do the same thing when we begin to get messed with, with Satan. He begins to work in our life and mess with what we had going on. We get so fearful. We get so fearful that we think Satan has that power to destroy us. He can discourage you, but he won't destroy you as a child of God. I was not familiar with one of these Aesop fables. I thought I'd read most of them and familiar with most of them. I couldn't recite them to you, but I think if you said one, I would, I would recognize it. But this week I read about one because I was doing some research and Googling about lion and all that. What, what could I tie it in with? That Aesop had a small, a short fable entitled The Lion in Love. Any of you familiar with that one? I've never heard of it. But here's, it is, it's, just, it's a very short one, only about seven sentences. And it goes like this. A lion demanded the daughter of a woodcutter in marriage. The father, unwilling to grant and yet afraid to refuse his request, came up with this plan to deal with the lion. He expressed his willingness to accept the lion as a suitor for his daughter on one condition, that the lion should allow him to extract his teeth, cut off his claws, as his daughter was fearfully afraid of both. The lion cheerfully assented to the proposal, but when he came back, toothless and clawless, to ask again for the hand of the woodcutter's daughter in marriage, the woodman, no longer afraid, set upon him with his club and beat him back into the forest. Now, what's the point that we can make from that fable? And it's this. Ever since the cross of Calvary, Satan has been toothless and he's been declawed. You agree with that? He can disappoint you, but he can't destroy you. So be encouraged. Now, here's the third thing. And that is when Satan interferes with your plans, find other ways to be an encourager. When Satan interferes with your plans, find other ways to be an encourager. Paul did. Paul wrote and said, I planned to come. I wanted to come. I, I just longed for you. I felt like I was torn away from you, but Satan hindered it. Did Paul give up? No. How do we know? Well, he did two things, that at least that we know of. First, he sent Timothy to him so that Timothy could give him a report. And Timothy came back and said, hey, they're doing extremely well. They're growing in their faith. They're standing strong. They're standing firm. And Paul said, I was encouraged by that. They're standing strong, encouraged him. Then he did a second thing. He wrote them a letter, the one that we know as First Thessalonians. And that's what we're reading from now. He wrote to the members of the church and he wrote to encourage them in the midst of their trials and their suffering and to encourage them that they would grow in the faith and love. Listen to what he says, verses 10 through 13. Night and day. We pray most earnestly that, you may, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. 
May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all the holy ones. Now, I think if we look closely at this, we find a pattern for how you can pray as an encourager. Okay, listen to how Paul talks about how we should pray. He says we should pray frequently. That's how he prayed. Night and day he prayed frequently. Remember, he writes in other places and say, pray continually. You know, Paul didn't just say, Lord, uh, bless my friends over there in Thessalonica, but he, he prayed frequently for them on a regular basis. Secondly, he prayed earnestly. He said, we pray most earnestly. And the word there has the idea of going above and beyond all normal measures. And it could be translated super abundantly. In other words, there was a sense of urgency. There was strength. And there was power in his prayers, even as he prayed on a regular basis for them. And then, pray specifically. Several weeks ago when we were talking through this series, and talked about prayer that so oftentimes uh, when I'm with people and they'll pray for somebody going through a trial or going through a crisis. Remember what I said about that? That people say, Lord, just be with them. And I said, you know, if I understand the scriptures correctly, God is everywhere He's omnipresent and he's with them right now. Expand your thought for them and ask God to do some specific things for them. Well, that's what Paul did when he prayed specifically. Look at verse 11. That we may see you again. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So he's starting to pray specifically for them. And then we see the pattern that goes on after that. What was it that he prayed specifically for them as an encourager? First of all, he prayed for their faith to mature. He said, I want to come and supply, in verse 10, what is lacking in your faith. That supplying what was lacking is the phrase that was used throughout the New Testament to talk about mending torn nets and setting broken bones. It's also the same word that's used in Galatians 6.1 for restoring sinning saints and in Ephesians 4.12 for equipping believers for the work of ministry. So when Paul prayed specifically for them, he prayed for their faith to mature. Later on in 2 Thessalonians, we'll look at that in a couple of weeks, he says that he expressed thankfulness because their faith was growing more and more. Secondly, he prayed for their love to increase. See, it was more than just a prayer that said, God bless my friends in Thessalonica. He said, first of all, I want want their faith to mature. Secondly, he says, I'm praying that their love will increase. Look at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. You know what happens? I think why Paul put that in there is because when you and I go through a time of trial, what happens? Everything else out there doesn't matter. What matters is what we're going through. And we have a tendency to forget that there are other people that have difficulties going on in their life. And we tend to focus on what's going on with us. And that, you know, I think that's a normal reaction, but then you've got to move beyond that. And you see, for believers in Christ, love should be a great distinguishing mark for us. Any great mark of a church in the kingdom of God is that it is a loving church, that they love each other. It's a mark of a successful church. It's a way of sharing God's love. And so what Paul said was that he wanted to see their love increase and overflow for them and for everyone else. And that means for them to love those who were bothering them and persecuting them. That's a strong thing to pray in it, for that kind of love to increase. 
And then thirdly, he prayed for lives to be holy. He was very specific in what he asked for. He prayed that their faith would mature, that love would increase, and that hope would lead to holiness. Look in verse 13. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. So that's a good thing to pray. Always for other people as well as for yourself. That you will live a holy lifestyle anticipating the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's wrap this up today about being encouraged. How can you be encouraged? You ought to be encouraged because God loves you. And God has all knowledge and all power and he's everywhere. And he's stronger than Satan. And Satan has to come through God to get with you and mess with you and what's going on in your life. Okay? That you ought to be encouraged by knowing that. I don't care what kind of trial you're going through today. And most everybody's in one of three places. You're going through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Right? You might be coming out of a storm. You might be in a storm. Or you might be headed into one. Remember when you're in there that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he's the loving God who will meet your every need and that Satan won't destroy you. And then on the other hand then, if we're encouraged, then we ought to be an encourager. See, it worked for Paul. He sought to encourage the Thessalonians, and he did, and then they encouraged him by the fact that they were standing strong in their faith. So let me, let me give you some four things I want to ask you to do as an encourager. Everybody can do this, okay? Number one, I want you to pray daily for our church and staff to seek and do God's will. I hope that your bulletin contained the insert for a prayer calendar of a prayer calendar for this month of February. And I want to thank the uh, prayer team for putting that together. Great idea. There's something on there for every day of the week starting tomorrow, I believe it is. And Jeff, you're the first one up. Pray for you as the other one. And then there are a variety of things in there for us to pray for. That's a ready-made prayer guide. Number two, I want to ask you to pray for those in your Bible study class, that they would have a mature faith, that their love would increase, and that they would live holy lives. And, of course, pray that for yourself. And then number three, I want you to pray for opportunities to be an encourager. Yes, it is our responsibility to be encouragers for one another. And then number four, this is for you. Ask for encouragement and prayer support that you would be strengthened in your faith journey. Don't neglect yourself. You have needs to be encouraged. Ask for that encouragement. That's why the church is here. That's why your Bible study class is here. Not just to study the Word, but for us to grow together in faith and love and holiness to glorify God. So I hope that in these uncertain times you can understand that through Scripture and through God's presence and power in your life you can be encouraged and you can be an encourager. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks in these uncertain times that uh, you are all powerful and all knowing and all loving and that you have that power in our life and that we can be encouraged by knowing that. And then that because we are encouraged by your presence everywhere and by your knowledge everywhere and by your strength everywhere, that we can be encouragers to one another. And that we would do it all for your glory, anticipating the day of the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in these uncertain times, Father, I pray.
that we will maintain our faith, that we will stand strong, that our faith will grow and develop, and our love for each other will abound. And I ask for all of that and for decisions to be made today. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.